1: Live from New York City, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. one 855 450 That's 1-855-450-6624. They give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So good evening to you guys. We are live from New York City. Happy to be here with you. We're live in our hotel room. A huge apology for those of you who wanted to come out to the show tonight. Our original live location never actually got confirmed, and so we're stuck indoors, which is actually okay because walking around New York, what we found was it's like a record high. Uh, We're going to make up to it. We have a great show and a very special guest joining us tonight, my friend, former co-host, and my boss, actually, Mr. Chris Fisher, owner and operator of Jupiter Broadcasting. Welcome to the program. Well, hey, buddy, it's good to be here. Yeah. So it
2: just took for me uh, putting you up in a hotel room for you to finally get me on the show. I see. how. <laughs> <Exactly>. it, is. <laughs> I see how it is.
1: So we had a show planned, uh, and you and I were actually going to do the very episode we're going to do tonight, and then uh, the then then we had an unexpected road trip that came up. Yeah. And so we weren't able yeah. to do it. Yeah. But uh, so this is the this is the first uh, this is the first show we've done as a duo since uh, I think it was. The end of last, back in May. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Chris and I both have a passion for small business, and we both own one. And so I'd say most of our conversations are tangentially related to this idea that both of us feel, we feel a sense of commitment, a a sense of responsibility, not only to our customers, uh, to our viewers, in, in Chris's case, but to our employees. And we're often called to make difficult decisions that often affect other people's lives, and obviously our bottom line. And so that's, I guess, the price you pay just for having... A small business. And so, mm-hmm. you know, phone lines are open, One eight five five four five zero 855 450 noaa That's 855-450-6624. And Chris and I are here to answer your questions. Live from New York City, tonight would be a particularly great night to yeah. ask a couple of small business owners your pet yeah. questions.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, that's something you and I do have in common is the fact that we both are, I guess you could call it entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we both have that We both have that drive, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You want to take a call? Sh- yeah, we got a call, yeah. All right. That's fun. Ian is calling from Canada. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Hey, Ian. How can we help? Hi, Your uh, question for Chris and me. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I've, uh, I've heard you talk in the past about virtualization. Uh, I know you're a, a big fan of that. Uh, could you just... Give me a brief overview again. I've heard you talk about thin clients and what you use as a thin client. Do you use a remote desktop or what's the basic setup that you need if you're like virtualizing, say, a Windows for several users?
1: Sure. Chris, what's your what are your thoughts?
2: Oh, wow. You're going to go right to me because I was actually curious to hear what you use here. Uh, I will take this moment to make a gratuitous plug for uh, considering Proxmox, which okay. I don't think it's enough love on the show. I mean, you okay. have mentioned it. Yep. But uh, we've run that in production now for years at Jupyter Broadcasting, and it's been, it's been super successful for us. Now, how you uh, deliver end-client machines, is that what you're talking about? Like, just virtualizing end-client machines and then giving, presenting that out to users, or am I tracking?
3: Yeah, that's right,
1: yes. Yeah, so what do you do for that, Noah? My suggestion, uh, so Proxmox is a great, actually... For the I'd, back end. For, Yeah, for the back end to actually host um, the virtual machines. Now, how you actually connect to them, there's a couple different ways you could do it. The first way would be to use a software-based system like um, Remina. If it's a Windows uh, software, you could use RDP for the protocol to connect. Um, if it's a Linux system, I would use something like X2Go. x go has very, very similar uh, performance hmm. to RDP. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing you could do is a hardware solution from our friends over at N Computing. And what they make is they make the N Computing L three hundred thin client. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are available for about thirty five dollars used. They're about two hundred dollars new, nComputing.com. And what it allows you to do is you install their software, which runs on Windows or Linux, onto the host machine. So if you're using a physical host, you know, you do it that way. If you're if you're virtualizing your host even Then you would use Proxmox on the Hmm. physical hardware, install Windows as a virtual machine, and then you would install the end computing, you know, virtualization software on top of that. The advantage of that is, uh, Ian, that you can basically take a large office, and we've done it as large as probably 40, 50 clients, uh, 40, 50 workstations, and you can virtualize that all with the end computing. And then your end hardware is just those $30 boxes.
2: Ian, what is your timeline for this project? Because there is a sort of a forward-looking answer I have for you, but it's not quite baked yet.
3: Well, it's just uh, an ongoing thing. Because I've come across sure. a, a few people that I've needed to put this into practice. And I've just been using you know, then, virtual th- moments and things like that.
2: So... You might be in the perfect position to try something that's uh, the the very beginnings are landing right now in GNOME 3.26. And it's the back-end infrastructure to use Pipewire. I just interviewed Mm. the developer of Pipewire Mm -hmm. on uh, last week's Linux Unplugged. And it exposes the display output as either RDP or VNC. Wow. And so you can run that inside a KVM machine. And then you can expose the desktop using PipeWire to an RDP client. Yeah, so sure. from Windows or from like Romania. Yeah, uh, and and it's you know it's brand new. They just are beginning to lay down the code right now. But you give that six months, it's really going to be there. You give it another gnome release, and this could be very solid. Mm. And by the way, future compatible with Wayland.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Ian, that that's what I would do. Does that, does that sound good to you?
3: Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. We thanks. Uh, thank you very much for the call. Yeah. It's, 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 it's actually, it's really interesting. So you're right. We don't give enough love um, to Proxmox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's funny because, like, I did a huge virtualization episode. Of course, I'm dealing, you know, with all these enterprise clients. And so we're dealing with the software that is pushed for, um, you know, the enterprise, and so, you know, Overt comes up a lot, and mm-hmm. obviously libvirt. And the, the funny thing is, is like, Proxmox is basically like this great web UI that just kind of controls mm-hmm. uh, libvirt. so mm-hmm. it's actually the same technology. And
2: plus, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not super current on Proxmox, but at least the one that we have is based on Debian. So if you're mm-hmm. a fan of running Debian on your server, Proxmox is a Debian-based system with just a lot of nice stuff built on it. And I, for me, that's been a super solid foundation.
1: Absolutely. So tell me this, Chris. Mm. You obviously, you started, uh, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, you you started jupiter broadcasting and uh, you know when th- when that first came up you obviously had a passion and a desire uh, and a particular skill set that allowed you to step outside the norm of you know employment so to speak and, and you started this broadcasting company which has now become you know very successful and probably the largest content of uh, of uh, or the largest uh, network of linux content and obviously, the home to the Ask Noah show. So, so tell me a little bit about what was in your mind when you first started that.
2: You know, it, it was actually avoiding a mistake. Um, it was almost a Linux OS, and I I don't want to call it a distribution because we weren't calling it. We were calling it Jupiter OS. Okay. And you don't call it a distribution because it's not. It's a desktop right. operating system. Yes. Okay. And uh, this, in fact, very much I was just reminded by uh, listener Ian, who is here at the Ubuntu Rally uh-huh. and in New York City. And he was one of the contributors early on to Jupiter OS. And pretty early into Jupiter OS, I'd say, you know, six months maybe, mm-hmm. no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this realization that uh, Brian and I did not make good operating system developers. <laughs> <laughs> but we made okay. decent podcasts. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, okay, well, so what could we do with this? And we both really liked the retro feel of Jupyter broadcasting because mm-hmm. we had a bunch of different content at the time that kind sure. of fit. And uh, so that was sort of this moment where I went, well, I could try to do 100 different things. Or I could just be honest, we can sit here and we can produce weekly content, but we're not getting this OS off the ground. yeah. And we should just be honest with ourselves what our limitations are and what our strengths are. Okay, And that was really sort of the moment we went, okay, well, now we have to eat a little uh, a little egg on our face here, kind of whatever, because we had to pull back from that whole Jupyter OS project.
1: So you you started you know just creating really great content just because it was a passion of yours. And then later you said, well, now that we have this kind of this idea of this thing of how we can kind of you know structure the thing, now we're going to take that, that that structure that didn't quite fit. We're just going to wrap it around what we do best.
2: Yeah, and and then it was okay. How do we how do we turn this into a business? Not so much so that uh, we can get rich because that certainly hasn't happened. But so so much so that well, if we're going to make the type of content at the quality level that we want, mm-hmm. it's going to require a lot of time. And the only way to make that possible is if it pays the bills because. It's, I'm obsessed with it. It's the only thing I can really do, anyways. I'm pretty mm. much unemployable now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so. yeah we talk about that too. How, <laughs> how once you get that drive, once you get that yeah. entrepreneur, it's, it's difficult to it's go. That's all back. I care about. Yeah. yeah. If you could go back in time and you were gonna go give yourself one piece of advice, now I know what your answer to that would be if I was asking you this question, uh, you know, nine months ago. Uh, yeah. But but today, what would be what would be the one thing you go back and, and tell yourself?
2: Hmm. You know, I would say uh, stay focused and. Uh, Except that you have, again, core strengths Mm -hmm. and consider spinning off the work that you don't like doing faster. Because. Like, I I had, like, this pride about it. Like, Mm -hmm. I can grind through this. I can get this done. And then what I found myself doing was just hating that part of my job, Mm -hmm. which then was starting to kill motivation. It was killing creativity. Mm -hmm. It was killing my content creation. And so I I realized, oh, wait a minute. It's actually responsible for me to have somebody else do this work. I'm not being lazy. Yeah. I'm doing effective management. Right. And then once I made that sort of transition, uh, I feel like the... Shows started getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. I'm I've still haven't made the full transition. There's sure. you know even while I'm in New York, there's still things I'm checking in with daily to make sure the mm-hmm. plates are still spinning. I mean, it's just the way when I mean, you own a business, yeah. it's the way it goes. It sounds
1: to me what you're saying is it's the difference between working on your business and in your business. Mm. Uh, you know you start yeah, you, you own your job. You're working in your business, yeah. and then eventually you stepped out and said, okay, now I'm going to run the yeah. thing and I'll do the parts that are fun for me. Yeah, but I'm going I'm to stay from back here and I'll, yeah. I'll I'll work on the business. And, and I
2: had to could- I had to make that transition to it being a job, so that way I could think about yes. it that way. Right. It yeah. said of these are the things i like doing.
1: Right. Yes. Going from a hobby. Yeah. What's been the most frustrating thing that you've that you've learned or come across? Hmm.
2: You know, the probably the hardest thing would be uh, you can you can have a lot of people working really hard on something mm-hmm. and doesn't mean everything's always going to work out when there's a lot of moving parts and when you're a small when you're a small like one person business, it's mm-hmm. all on you. And that's bad in the sense that it's all on you. Mm-hmm. And that's good in the sense that it means it's only your responsibility if something goes wrong right. and you have 100% control over that aspect of it right? when you're in a group and sometimes as a business gets larger there's other parts like you have Internet connectivity issues because you have multiple ISPs and mm-hmm. you have multiple data providers and download providers, and they can have an outage. and You can have the most incredible episode you're super proud of, and the RSS feed service is down. Right. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there, te- you know, twil- twirling your thumbs. is sitting there twirling his thumbs. There's nothing yeah. he can do about it. And, it's, and it, you just have to sit there and go, wow, no matter how hard we work, sometimes there's just. Bad things happen, and it's just the way it goes. Yeah. And you, the the lesson there was, okay, well, how do we not let this totally demotivate us yeah. and just move on to the next thing? Got to make the next show.
1: So yeah, so in in some regards, just knowing where the where the limitations that you have no control are out of.
2: Yeah, or actually, because there you always find new things, you always discover new things. So mm-hmm. it's really the ability to adapt and keep your head and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, because you take this stuff pretty seriously mm-hmm. when it's your business I mean I know you've been in this position too probably where something doesn't go the way you wanted it either because of a quality issue or an external force oh, yeah. and you're left feeling like maybe if it was me that was doing maybe if I had done something differently and it's you got to struggle with that
1: yeah and w- you know one of the things too that I have gotten to is uh, when I when I kind of look at some of this stuff and I say you know I ultimately always come back to I blame myself mm-hmm. every time I blame myself and when I kind of look at that I say well okay if I was working for a larger organization and I had somebody else to kind of kick it to or punt it to or there, maybe there's something yeah. else I could shove it off on, yeah. of we just don't have that opportunity yeah. you know small business owners and it's really frustrating yeah um so yeah I guess we'll continue that conversation as we go on I want to take uh, another call here Philip is calling from San Diego hi Philip welcome to the Ask Noah show Oh, sorry, Philip. Sorry, Philip. Go ahead, Philip. Go ahead. I I I turn the thingy down.
3: Yeah, no worries. How's it going, guys?
1: Good. Hey, Philip. I'm having a little. Even though I even though I made the first mistake, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Can you speak directly into your phone? Yes. Is, is that better? Much better. Yeah. yeah. Much better. How can we help? Okay.
3: Okay. So I have a sort of an unconventional situation here. I'm I'm working on a Raspberry Pi uh, project and it's a uh it's supposed to be a USB wireless dongle is what i'm converting it into and i've already done the uh i've done i've done the soldering and stuff it's uh and i'm i'm able to get it to uh you know i installed raspbian on it and i'm uh i'm able to get it to show up on my computer screen when i log in with the USB port but the uh the issue that i'm having is trying to SSH into the uh, into the Raspberry Pi. It's it just keeps coming up as it doesn't recognize the local host. And, I'm
1: I'm, confu- you know, I'm confused. Expect- you're making you're making your Raspberry Pi a USB dongle, A Wi-Fi dongle.
3: Yeah, I, I yeah I kind of went on a tangent and I I saw this <laughs> uh, project on the internet and I thought I you know <laughs> give a crack at it. <laughs> And sure, so, tell uh,
1: tell me a little bit about the project. So what does a USB dongle do? What is a, what
2: well is I think he, what he's saying is he's turning the Raspberry Pi uh-huh. into like a Wi Fi adapter, then he's connecting that to the USB on his computer, and it acts as a Wi Fi dongle. Like it's it's like a home built Wi Fi dongle, which is kinda cool. How how But how does the a Raspberry yeah, Pi get connect, associated to an A P and get right. an IP?
1: And and also how does the how does it actually connect to the computer? Because there's no I can't take a USB B cable and plug it into both ends. I'm very confused.
3: No, so basically, basically what you do is you've got a uh, you know you've got a male USB plug, uh, like okay. a normal the the mm-hmm. one that you uh, and then you solder you solder that to the uh, with, with wires to the bottom pads on the Raspberry Pi, okay. For the uh, power and the USB in, and then it just you know siphons off the power from the USB port, and then I the got gotcha. you. That's to, awesome. It, it, it nice mod. The okay. connected device.
2: I understand. Okay. Thank you for catching me up. I'm sorry. Yeah, about you, that. Gotta, you gotta. Yeah, you, you, you missed the soldering yeah, part. Yeah, you gotta yeah, get, I guess so. He did a little. He did a little illegal hack here. Yeah. On his, no, uh, that that's, very funny.
1: that's okay. Okay. <laughs> now, now I'm now now I'm caught up. Sorry, my brain's a little slow. Okay. So and and so now you're. Tr- how are you trying to SSH into the thing? This is your SSHing in over the when it's connected to the network.
3: Yeah, it's supposed to. It's supposed to be able to work. Uh, you know, it's supposed to use like the Avahi daemon or whatever to connect mm. as a. Uh, you know, advertises a local uh, local host. You know, and you're supposed to be mm. able to connect to it. You know, through the through the Raspberry Pi, but I can't get it to. And it's real weird because I when I plug it into my computer, network manager will show that you know I have a wired connection available, so I know that it's recognizing that there's something there, but SSH refuses to see it.
2: Now, how do you know that the Raspberry Pi is successfully on the network at all? Like what? What indications do you have that it has an IP and that Avahi would be advertising uh, its services?
3: Well, so I did. I did. Um, I did. I, when I do like uh, ifconfig, I can see the. I can see the Raspberry Pi is listed in uh, in the list of devices. So
2: you know your Linux kernel is talking to it. You know the, the the Linux box and the Raspberry Pi at least see each other over the USB interface.
3: Right, but what I don't. What I what, what it doesn't see. Like I mean, I guess. 'Cause what you know, raz- like Raspberry Pi as a default is supposed to um say like localhost from like Pi at ra- you know, Pi at localhost you know, uh mm-hmm. Pi at Raspberry dot or whatever. Um but yeah, it's it it says it doesn't recognize that uh you know what I w- I, can't, I,
2: can't. I would do is I think you need to do a sanity check and I would hook up display and keyboard to the Raspberry Pi yep. and see what you know, get a get a get a console up from your uh, Debian install there and see that's what you exactly. can ping out to and what your IP if config information comes back there because you got to verify that's working.
3: Well, so and and that's kind of the that's kind of the issue is because you know it's the you know they have the raspberry pi 0 and they have the raspberry hmm. pi 0 w which is you know the w is the one that has the wireless i have the i uh. have just the 0 so there's no wireless out oh
1: there. okay
3: so well, so, I don't so now 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 <laughs> i'm confused
1: now i'm confused again so how is the raspberry pi connected to the network then
3: the, hope the, the well <laughs> It, it, no, no, not hope. Uh, so it's not—it's not actually ever. It's—it's it's connected to the—you know—it's—it's it's like a local network between. Oh, okay. So, okay. so let
1: me, let me see if I—let okay. okay. me see if I understand this. So you're you're trying to SSH into the Raspberry Pi over the USB cord, then that's what you're trying to do? Yeah, like get a network
2: connection yeah. up over that.
1: Okay. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Do, yeah. So it gets real wild here because ultimately I want this to be like a Bitcoin cold storage wallet. Right. Now we're talking. Okay. This does get real
1: wild. I'm 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 totally on yeah. board with your project. So th- my, so here's my next question: Is do you have a, inter do you have an IP address assigned to that USB interface that is kind of acting as a network adapter thing? Uh,
3: no, I don't have a, like a static IP or anything assigned to it.
1: How are um, you how are you, think, how are you SSHing into it? Well,
3: so because the SS because with SSH you're supposed to be able to. Uh, when, when you plug it in from a USB, it's supposed to treat it as a, uh, as a, um, as an Ethernet, as an Ethernet device, through like, mm-hmm. Ether, um, it's, it's, it's like a, because basically the Linux picks it up as a as an Ethernet device, and
1: then you. Pick but Philip, here's 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 the here's the issue. Here's the issue. The issue is that when you when you, ask, when you when you drop to your terminal and you type in SSH and whatever follows after the SSH, the computer has to be able to resolve that thing, and so if it's a name, first it's going to look in your host file, and if it can't find it in your host file, then it's going to look at your preferred DNS servers, and if neither of those places have an answer to whatever the thing is, it's you're simply not going to be able to connect. If, you've, if you put an IP address directly in there, it's not going to try to resolve that, obviously, but it is going to try to, to, to either route those packets, if it can connect directly, and if it can't, it'll send it to, to its default gateway. So the the issue that you're having is, is you, uh, there's I mean, and I could be wrong about this, but uh, you know, I don't think that you can just plug the USB cable in and then type SSH, you know, root at localhost or local pi or whatever, and it's just going to find that.
3: Well, so and, and I'm, you know, I was following, uh, like, if I could, I don't know. I mean, this might be outside of the scope, but I was, you know, I was uh, following like tutorials of, you know, other people that had done this before, and and, and they have had success um, hmm. doing this, but it's, uh, it's. You know, for some reason, I'm just not getting access, and I'm getting uh, uh, you know, I went through some of the troubleshooting that people had recommended online, and um,
4: mm-hmm.
3: I'm getting like these block errors when I do D message. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting like some kind of block eleven error when the, when the when it's trying to um, recognize it as a USB connected device, and I don't know okay. if that may be causing the issue. Um, Well,
1: maybe. My my trouble, my problem is, and unless you've not made any changes to the actual computer, right? All you've done is just plug this USB cable in? Yeah, no, the,
3: yeah, just just the Raspberry, basically it's the Pi Zero I plug directly into the computer. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, so I guess, uh, Philip, as far as, I, and and again, there's probably somebody out there, I am not the world's expert on Raspberry Pis, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that knows a lot more about this than I do, but uh, based on my limited understanding, I don't see any any way that the computer is going to be able to resolve those names. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you back on hold. I'm going to have Sarah pick up and, and grab your information. And uh, there is a guy in the uh, in the Telegram group. It's uh, Com. His name is Jason, and he does all sorts of stuff uh, like this and connects Raspberry Pis to all different things that they probably shouldn't be connected to. Um, so I'm going to put you back on, on hold. I'll have Sarah pick up. She'll take your information. I'll forward that onto him, and uh, we'll see if he maybe has an answer for you, and I'm sorry that we don't. All right, I want to play an interview uh, for you guys. This is a really inspiring gentleman, a man who dropped out of high school, who was told time and time again that you're not going to amount to anything, you're not going anywhere, uh, you know, and, and, and in spite of all of that, he said, no, you know what, I don't believe that Eeyore is my spirit animal, and I think that there is a way that uh, I can overcome this, and I think that I can do it online by teaching myself, uh, you know, different resources and a different skill set, and uh, we, I, I kind of told the story on the 4th of July, and he actually, it was a pleasure, he came out to Grand Forks, and him and I hung out for a weekend, and, and he's a really inspiring individual to look at, or to listen to, so uh, coming up is an interview with Mr. Ron McMahon. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Ron, and uh, Ron was back in Grand Forks a couple of months ago. For A quick refresher for you guys, Ron was working a job at Walmart in the uh, in the produce section, and uh, in the middle of moving some bananas, he had this epiphany that he wanted to code databases. He wanted to make a lot of money doing it, and uh, Ron set out on a mission, and uh, we have Ron here on the Ask No Show. Hey, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, we appreciate having you. So, tell me the story. How did this hit you? What was happening?
0: Was it actually bananas? it wasn't even really walmart or produce uh there was about five or six years in between there doing warehouse stuff driving forklifts uh doing freight stuff doing inventory places at different warehouses and I ended up at a freight uh, a freight company doing forklift driving for a little bit and uh reorganized an excel spreadsheet and the boss noticed and said uh oh you're good with computers um fast forward a couple months they put me in a claims department Claims suddenly didn't have any cues anymore. Fast forward another couple months, and uh, I would uh, do some reporting stuff for them. After doing reports about two times, I decided I didn't like it and started looking for another forklift job. At the same time, I was kind of Googling how to automate the stuff. Just, you know, copy-paste Excel, automatic. I didn't know what code was. I didn't know what an Excel macro was. And before I know it, I would spent four months building this 1,200-line Excel VBA macro with no indentation, no functions, no comments. Um... No idea how it worked, but it worked. They noticed that. They sent me off into uh, a provisionary role into development. I did development there for a while, and uh, that company just happened to have a lot of their logic in the database, so I very quickly learned SQL and been a fun time. That was about four years ago now.
1: And when you say you know you moved into the, their their development department, my understanding was this is kind of a smaller company. So development department, I mean, was it more like you had some guys on the IT staff, or like did they have like a like a, a, a an actual like division of the company for doing development?
0: It was really just the IT staff. There were people who were known for the network stuff. There was the database guy, and there were some the developer guys who would avoid as much of the database stuff as they could. Uh, it was all fresh and new and fun to me, and I was learning stuff as I was going along, so I would just say yes to anything they asked me to do, and they gave me the time to figure it out. When you first started doing this,
1: was there a moment where you were like, what did I get myself into? What am I doing? I don't, I don't know anything about
0: databases. Was there a moment? That moment's every day. <laughs> especially after i left that company about a year and a half into it uh we all walked into a status meeting we all got laid off that's just kind of what happened at that point i had a year of experience i went out there found a contract got that contract and like i said that moment happens every day day one of that contract it was like what am i doing do do i know what i'm doing um luckily it seemed that i did a couple months into the contract that company hired me it's where i am now and it's it's a great time but it, it still happens at least every couple weeks or something you know do I even know what I'm doing? What have I been doing for the last four years? Am I who am I and what what's going on here? So when you say contract, um, you mean uh, you
1: were hired as a as a temporary employee. You were hired by a temp agency that, that loaned you out then to a company.
0: Correct. That company paid me and then the company that I now work for paid them. It was supposed to be a six to twelve week contract. There were some interesting things that happened in between there that I won't get into, albeit about four or five months after contracting, the the company did hire me on full time. Okay,
1: so walk me through this a little bit, because you're not... So when you sit down, you're going to go do these... You know, you're starting on this database development, but obviously, it's, you, I mean, these functions aren't just coming to you in your head. I mean, you're learning them somewhere. Um, you
0: know, did you go to school, or did you take a, did you take a class, or someone show you something? Uh, I dropped out of high school, and um, a lot of it was Google, and it, it, spe- it stemmed mostly from the, the, the VBA stuff in Excel, and getting my hands on a, on a code base at the first company that I'd worked at where you know, this thing had been developed for 20 years in SQL Server. There was a lot of code to look at, and there were a lot of things wrong with that code to look at, uh, and they needed people to fix it. So being able to just get hands-on with a, a set of code and, and morph it and meld it just a little bit at a time, you know, change something, push a button, see what happens. Uh, that's sort of how I learned just kind of trial and error.
1: Did you have any online resources that you found that were particularly like, oh, that that really got me, that really got me going, that really helped me get started and helped me kind of push through? And when
0: I did have questions, that's where I went to learn new skills. Um, a, a huge thing that I wish I had known about at the time was uh, the W three Schools resource, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there'll be a link in the show notes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's a cute little database that sits in your browser and you can reset it with a mouse click at any time. You don't have to install MySQL. You don't have to set anything up. It's just a thing. It's a tab in your browser. And it, it's enough that I would say anyone who wants to could step through their little process there, learn all the different things, learn how to do joins, learn what the aggregate functions are, grouping, all that stuff with SQL. Uh, they could easily go walk into contract reporting jobs after spending a couple months on that site. Okay, now there's going to be people out
1: there, and they're going to say, so this guy, he doesn't have a high school diploma, and they're probably sitting in the same boat there. Like, I don't have a high school diploma, and I don't have any formal education in, in, in databases or computers or any of that stuff, uh, and, and they're working as a, as a whopper-flopper you know, at Burger King for, for minimum wage.
0: Uh, is that is that the most that somebody who dropped out of high school could expect? Uh, definitely not. I dropped out of high school. I've walked out on interviews at uh, companies that won't hire someone without a diploma. Uh, am I lucky? Maybe, uh, but it's, it's never been a hindrance to me.
1: So when you say you walk out, like that's you you ask them that. You say, hey, just let's just get this right out on the table. Hi, my name is Ron. Good to meet you. Let's just get this out on the table. Uh, I don't have a high school diploma. So if that's a problem for you, let's just uh, let's shake hands and call it a day, and I'll go somewhere else. If it's not, let's keep going.
0: Yeah, I've had more than one interview that's gone like that.
1: And sometimes they tell you, they're like, yeah, sorry, that's that's kind of a thing. And you get up and walk out. And other times they're like, "No, yeah, we'll talk to you.
0: Yeah, this company here, uh, it, you know, technically it's on the books or whatever, the company I work for, uh, they drafted up a, a position for me and said, or quote, or relevant experience, and that's just kind of uh, how it seemed to work for me, at least so, so far in the industry.
1: And, uh, you know, you don't have to give
0: exact figures, but give me give me a ballpark. What could somebody what should
1: what should somebody not settle for? What should somebody look uh, and and say that's not an unachievable goal with no high school, no high school diploma and no formal education and no prior experience? What could somebody what is what is the what is the, the
0: the bar that somebody can look to to achieve? When I was breaking into the the warehouse and forklift industry, I thought $20 an hour would be sweet, and I'd, that'd be plenty of money, I'd be fine for life, uh, you know, uh, that'd be the peak of a job for me, and I'd be perfectly all right there. Um, that's less than half of where I'm at now, and I'm still at entry level. It, well, I, I won't say entry level. I'm definitely, at, you know, mid-level, far from the higher reaches of what you can do in database stuff.
1: And you have every ex- expectation to continue to move that direction. I hope to. We'll see. Okay, that's fair. If you had to go back in time, you were going back to the the, the the first you that was starting out at this forkless job, what would you tell yourself? What kind of
0: advice would you give yourself? A, a big thing to the W3Schools uh, sequel tutorials again. It's huge. Also, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to mess up. Don't be afraid to break things. Uh, try to stay away from production if you're going to break stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, it's okay to write code that doesn't work. As long as you're in a place where stuff goes through development and testing, it's perfectly okay. Don't, don't kill yourself over not being able to get it right the first time. When I write 300 lines of code over a couple hours and press go and it works the first time, I freak out. <laughs> it, 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 it never works the first time. Don't feel bad about that. Nobody gets it right the first time. Those kinds of people are very, very far of you in between.
1: Give me an idea of how uh, Linux and open source and the ability to access software freely, uh, how that's played a role, if, if any.
0: Uh, it's getting there. SQL Server's coming to Linux. I want to be the SQL Server on Linux guy, but I keep dragging my feet on it because I don't like doing presentations or putting stuff together. And it, It's fun. I play with Linux all the time. I run a Linux VM on my work laptop to do my IRC and hang out and stuff. I use it at home. I've got uh, Open Media Vault on uh, a file server. I've got Proxmox running a hypervisor that runs my Windows domain at home. Sure, that makes sense. So, it and it's interesting too
1: because like the, even the small amount of movement that you have made in the uh, in the SQL Server uh, SQL Server on Linux side has has reached the corners, uh, you know, of me. And I'm, I'm about as far away as you get, uh, you know, from the Windows infrastructure. So I've I've kind of thought that was interesting. And uh, and you know, of course, we wish you the best of luck. If if you're looking, you see that. What kind of timeline are do you see before that starts to take off? And maybe not in your environment specifically, but any
0: environment. As far as I know, Microsoft has said it's quote production ready for a few months now, and I know that there are places that are using it side by side. Uh, one of the big features in SQL Server is the high availability groups, and it's already possible to run a cluster that contains both Windows and Linux hosts and fail over seamlessly in between. Uh, as far as it being Linux only or Linux, uh, starting up a, a new project with Linux uh, for SQL Server, it's going to be at least a couple years, I think. They don't even have, uh, is it Kerberos, whatever the uh, the Windows authentication is working for that yet. you got to do SQL logins, and anyone that takes SQL Server seriously doesn't use SQL logins yet
1: how about the community i know that uh, i know that you and i have you know have a lot of really uh, a lot of shared acquaintances and stuff like that what role ha- ha- if any has that played in in your experience and
0: your your ongoing uh, you know collaboration networking all that it's been huge you know i don't listen to many of the shows uh, yeah. but i hang out in the mumble mm-hmm. and we know a lot of the people that hang out in the mumble and i credit probably most of the, if not all of them to me getting into this career at all it was the sort of stuff uh, i think i met a, a buddy playing counter strike who dragged me in there and because he had heard I was doing some code stuff, and, you know, there were some code nerds or whatever in the mumble. Uh, and it was just the receptiveness of them to tell me, oh, this is what a for loop does, this is how an integrator works, you know. These are typing, you know, casting, and uh, just all kinds of different programming stuff. They'd listen to me, they'd hear my questions, and they'd talk to me for hours about it as long as I was willing to listen. One of your earlier
1: experiences, that, and I know you were talking about this, uh, you know, when you were out here uh, camping with me, and we and were talking about... Um, you know, how, your, how a lot of your development role actually started with an IRC bot. T- talk to me about that.
0: Yeah, it was one of the things that got noticed when they sort of interviewed me for the provisionary role moving from the claims department into the, the whole development thing at that company. Uh, I had just looked at the IRC specification, looked at Python as a language, something I hadn't done before, and I didn't know what a library was or how libraries worked, and I didn't want to learn that. I wanted to write code. Bad idea. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I ended up banging out it's like a couple hundred lines of Python that just use raw sockets it connects to IRC it talks to people it has commands It it'll, you know tell you the weather the price of Bitcoin or something like that it's, it's a terrible abomination of code but it was me saying no to everyone who's telling me how to do something and that I wanted to learn to do it my way uh, and it worked well enough for what I wanted to do I, I'm still surprised the thing runs for like months at a time before it crashes. You and I uh,
1: see very eye to eye when it comes to money management, uh, and and uh, and, our, and our aspirations in life. We're both very goal driven people. I think that's why you know you and I get along so well. And I have had people uh, time and time again tell me that um, you know the the uh, normal in life is having uh, is 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 having uh, you know ninety thousand dollars worth of student loan debt and having a car payment and having a mortgage on a house and trying to do all that on forty thousand dollars a year. And that just isn't possible. And because of that, we should all just throw throw our hands up and give up. So speak to those people. Tell me, you know, and, and when I try to counter that, when I try to give examples and say, no, I, you know, I built my company from the ground up uh, and I do have a college diploma, but that has not played I- any role really in where I, ha- I have gotten. Uh, and they say, well, you, you've you had it handed to you. You've, you've gotten, you know, because you worked for 10 years and you're an overnight success. So you're you're coming from the exact opposite background. And yet you and I have wound up in very similar positions. So, so talk to those people for a minute
0: Uh, we've covered it a couple times already i'm a high school dropout i have no formal training i learned luckily on the job there was a company that was willing to help me uh but i could have learned all that in the time that i spent playing video games at night if i really wanted to um up until i had started learning it i didn't realize that i I was smart enough i could do this that it was this easy uh i I had sworn it off because i did so poorly in high school that it was just never going to happen to me um and as far as the whole debt thing goes i i didn't I think it's about this week. I've had a credit card for a year, and I got it just because I had started traveling. Because I've got the money now, and the last times I had traveled with my debit card from my credit union, they would freeze it. So I got a credit card simply because I wanted a thing that would work in case they froze my debit card. Uh, the thing hardly ever has a balance on it; I pay it off right away. Um, I just recently took out a loan to buy a car. I took out a two-year loan. I paid it off in four months because seeing the debt balance on my credit my bank account every time I logged in it freaked me out. Uh, I don't drive a fancy car. It's an 07 Impreza. Um, I will never buy a new car. Uh, I'm I'm weary of buying a house. I'm I'm starting to look into the market now because rent is is really just a waste of money. Um, but you don't you don't need to go into massive debt, and definitely don't get yourself on a financial plan of being okay with your minimum payments and everything. Uh, I drove beaters. I made sure I always had at least two cars so that when one did fall apart, I'd still be able to get places and get to work. Um, I don't. I hope to never fall victim to the debt thing but i understand that if you do get there it's really hard to get out so if you can if you aren't in it now don't succumb to it stay away um and if you are there i hope you get out of it someday and when you do please don't fall back into it yeah, it's interesting. You know, your number one
1: wealth-building tool uh, is your income, and anyone that that anyone that has a, a strong uh, presence in the financial community, anyone who's studied it, anyone who's looked at it, knows that. Uh, and so, and they they all agree with it. And you and I have just kind of stumbled upon that. Neither one of us, to the best of my knowledge, have had any training in that uh, in in that realm. So, one last question for you. This is kind of a funny one, and, and I'll let you answer it to the to the extent, if at all, if you want to. But uh, do you want to tell people the <laughs> the the nature of The product that you're working on because it there is a certain irony to it I'm in the education space (laughs) so you are you are now developing uh, uh, specifically for um, you know a particular industry which um, I I don't want to use the word wrote you off but you were told that you needed in life to succeed and now you're making your success from that
0: yeah and it's awesome. Um, I really do feel like I'm giving back. Um, it's cool to see the software that we are putting out. Um, and we're not alone. There are, there are many competitors that are doing the same thing that we're doing. And I'm just glad that that's a space that exists now and that schools are buying it because uh, if I had had it, I probably would have finished high school. That's absolutely
1: fantastic. Well, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to, to stop with this. And I know you're not a big consumer of podcasts in
0: general. Do you, you think we have a chance of earning your listenership on the Ask Noah show? Oh, I've listened to most of them. I need to catch oh, up. I'm really? a few weeks behind, but uh, I've listened to most of them. Okay, so of of all the shows that are out there, this, this is the one you chose? Uh, of any podcast, yeah, it's been this one.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that was Ron McMahon and he like I said he's a really fantastic uh, individual to talk to and I you know it's 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 funny because I am going to take in time link uh, that particular interview uh, every time somebody calls me or every time I have a conversation with somebody and somebody tells me no my best my best option is to go be a whopper flopper and make five dollars an hour and and uh, and maybe i will demand fifteen dollars an hour and and hopefully the fast food industry won't just replace me with a kiosk <laughs> which we have in Grand Forks and I have to say is actually Quite entertaining for my kids. So, uh, Greg, (laughs) uh, so uh, Ron McMahon, uh, more links in the show notes if you want more information about what he's talking about, w3schools.com. And I I would give actually a plug for... uh, for uh, you know something like Linux Academy, if you guys a lot of you are in the Linux space, and if you're looking for someplace that will teach you, um, you know, tips and tricks on 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 how to get started with Linux Academy, that's or how to get started with Linux. I would use Linux Academy. Uh, that's what I've gone to um, for all of my recertifications, and th- and that is coming from somebody who has previously paid, uh, you know, the high cost to actually attend an official uh, Red Hat training course. And I think I get just as much value out of the uh, out of Linux Academy, and for you know. A fraction of the price. Uh, Greg is calling from British Columbia. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
4: Hi, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. Did I hear that uh, you have Chris Fisher on the line with you this afternoon?
1: We do. What is your r- question r- for rumors Chris? Rumors are tonight? true. Rumors are true. Oh,
4: <laughs> well, how's New York doing? <laughs> I'm a fan of the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, and I, I tuned into your vlog a couple of times. It's interesting to see how, you know, you, you meet these challenges and jump on certain <laughs> opportunities, and you know, throw the open source stuff into the mix, and you know, get things produced and podcasted. It's a lot of fun watching your network. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> we uh, so
2: we d- we're kind of running around today, capturing what essentially the feel is to be here. I'll give you a, I'll give you a preview though. I can give it to you in one word. Can you guess what it is, Noah? <laughs>
1: It's r- uh, Cha-ching! No, it, well, it's oh, okay. expensive, yeah. That is <laughs> that York, is a good one. I always find New York to be expensive.
2: I think expensive would have been the word I would have chosen had it not been so dang hot.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's oh.
2: record-breaking oh. hot here. Yeah, and we set
1: a new record for how hot yeah. it is. Yes.
2: And uh, when you combine that with the general New York smells and whatnot, it's an ex- interesting experience. But uh, I have actually been really enjoying it and we ran around all day today in the hotel here at the ubuntu rally capturing people working and great air conditioning as long as you're in the building so (laughs) it's incentive to keep working
4: well i'll keep i'll keep uh tuned to the network and and uh watch for your newest updates
2: thank you yeah i got a new vlog coming out on tuesday which continues the trip over here to new york
1: and then and then the one after that you think will be probably here yeah the actual okay
2: and in fact the one that comes out on tuesday that would be uh tuesday the 26th
1: uh-huh has you in it yeah don't ruin it i cool. okay yeah yeah you know what i'm thinking yeah you're thinking what i'm thinking mm-hmm. all right greg how can we help what's your question for chris and me
4: well i called to ask you if you have heard about uh reddit community where they are modifying chromebooks to run windows windows 10 <laughs> on your chromebook
1: no, I. I, I uh, that is one thing a, out of all. I've done a lot of things user. with Chromebooks, Greg. i got to tell you, that is the one thing I have not tried to do on a Chromebook. Hmm.
4: Maybe it's a business thing. Well, these guys are Noah. having great, great success. These guys are having great success on the Trultra Book Reddit thread. That's
1: <laughs> oh, no. reddit.com
4: slash r slash chr ultra book.
1: Okay. There you go.
2: And, all right.
4: Uh, I'm running it on my my Chromebook. I bought the Dell Chromebook 13 in December 2015. I ran it under Chrome OS for a year, and you know I was I was loving it, getting a lot of use out of Chrome OS. Uh, I had a 32 gig SD card that I was uh, that I had installed Ubuntu onto, and I was you know booting into my Ubuntu install, and then I'd boot into the Chrome OS. The whole time I was following this this uh, subreddit, and these guys were making great progress on rewriting the firmware uh, from core boot source code. Uh, Mr. Chromebox is the guy who's uh, doing the the firmwares, and you know they've made excellent progress. Right now, you can flash your firmware on several supported Chromebooks. And then the drivers for Windows are installed right from the uh, Windows install.
2: Huh. Interesting. And how does it how does it run? And what do you do? I with such You place? guys might
4: want to know. Well, right now I've got uh, I'm running NetRunner. Hmm. I was, you know, paying attention <laughs> to the network, and you guys were doing your your uh, your challenge, and mm-hmm. NetRunner seemed to get some traction. So I've been running NetRunner on my on my. Chromebook, and you know it's phenomenal.
1: So I, I guess so. Here's my here's my here's my immediate thought when when you tell me that people are installing Windows on the Chromebook. So most of these manufacturers that subsidize the cost of the hardware to run on to run Chrome OS, Microsoft is doing the exact same thing. So if you go look at HP, they offer a Chromebook and they offer a very light, uh, you know, com, you know, very inexpensive hmm. Windows uh, computer for about the same price. HP is doing the same thing. Um, I don't know specifically. Yeah, I, I don't know. Spe- actually, I know. For- actually, I yeah. don't know, specifically, it's not like about that, though. but w-
2: it's about reusing old hardware. Yeah. It's about something you bought. And, you know, I guess I can see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I just if there's anyone out there that is looking to do something, if they're like, I would like to buy an inexpensive computer and run Windows. I don't know why you'd want to run Windows be, even on a good hardware, much less inexpensive hardware. But if you were going to do that, I feel like there might be better ways to, to do that. Hmm. The performance is OK, though. It, it works all right.
4: Yep, I'm. Uh, you know, uh, the core boot firmware is mm. possibly leaner than most uh, manufacturer bias setups. Sure, uh, there's limitations to flashing the Chrome OS. You get a command line on the core, so you can run utilities on the, the on the command line. Uh, you can get into uh, volumes on a shell, and you can boot from an image, but you have to do something like install Refind on there so that you can do multiple boots. You can't run Chrome OS and uh, use this flashed, uh, this updated uh, firmware image. You have to choose between them. But you can, apparently you can run Chromium OS. Arnold the Bat will dual boot with Windows on your Chromebook.
1: Oh, interesting. Uh, All right. Well,
4: th- you might have to you might have to upgrade the SSD storage.
1: Sure, that makes perfect make sense. It- well, whoops, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Greg.
4: Every time you start talking, about, uh, go ahead, Greg. It's called- Okay, we, I gotta go. Okay, that's my yeah, favorite that's a, moment right <laughs> there. Here's the, here's the thing.
1: I mean, this is live radio. So this is what we have to do. But I it's, love it, though. it's funny because uh, you know, you you wait for the the pause until you can, you know, until you can yeah. you cleanly say goodbye, and then yeah. uh,
2: whoops, didn't quite. You wait. know what, dude? That happens in real life too. Yeah, it really tur- does. Turns out it kind of does. It's just how it goes.
1: So I want to. Uh, I'd love to get your take uh, on this too, Chris. <clears> but there is a uh, there's an article that just came out and has me uh, jumping around for joy. This is from Medium.com. Headline: What Wire server code now open source. Hey-o. Earlier this year, we started open sourcing Wire server code under the AGPL license. Today, the code necessary to run the Wire server is available for everyone for review. The next step in the team is for is to remove dependencies on specific services to pave the way for an easily self-hosted server. User interest in the self-hosted in self-hosting, the wire server has been extremely high. We're getting requests from the security community, academia, and nonprofits, as well as business clients, especially in the finance and public sector. So basically, for those of you that have been waiting for a instant messaging application that runs over the internet, that provides encrypted end-to-end communication, but you want that to actually be secure, you want to be able to actually audit the source code, you now have an option. And I know that there are people in the chat room that were interested in some sort of a messaging platform, but they were only interested in it if they could host it themselves. Now, the funny caveat to that is a lot of them don't even care about actually hosting it themselves. They don't actually plan to host it. They just want the ability to actually uh-huh. host it, and then they're willing to use huh. whatever the public server is available, which, uh-huh. you know, it, it, it's kind of a conundrum, but uh, but now we have an option. So the first one out of, you know, uh, so there's Signal out there, there's Wire, there is Telegram, uh, there's WhatsApp, there's Viber. Out of all oh, yeah. of those, oh, yeah. apparently Wire is the first one to open source everything. The and whole I, thing. The whole thing, top to bottom. Now, you know what will be interesting is what will really be interesting is to, if, if somebody could dig in and let us know what exactly do they mean when they say we need to remove dependencies on specific services so that you can host it? Because apparently the code is available, but you can't actually host it. <laughs> so that leads me to think that one of two things. So I, I suppose I could go take the code and I could strip out all of those, you know, reliances on services. But, and maybe I'm way oversimplifying it, but you would think that they would just be pointed to some sort of. You know, server and you could take the code and set up your own server and then point the client to the mm. to the different server. I don't I'm not really sure.
2: You know, a couple of things I I was wondering about when you were describing it, and uh-huh. this might be the part that they're having trouble with. So long term, um I like where they're going. Yeah. Where they're going long term is even self-hosted with Federation. Yeah, yes. That sounds really cool. Right. Uh but uh I I would like to know more about how they do push notifications. Um, they have a, they're have they they're planning to break out everything into separate repositories. And the push notification WebSocket is going to be called Canon. Get it? Because you're shooting out <laughs> yeah. messages. So it's called Canon. Yeah. And uh, that that is a tricky beast because that requires talking to Google services and Apple services. Right. And uh, in both cases, you're going to have to be a registered developer. Sure. And the other thing is, you know, you can have Wire have perfect encryption and you can have an open source server and an open source client that you're auditing every day, every night. But as long as you're sending that content and the content being previews of Mm -hmm. your messages Mm -hmm. through either one of these push notification services, Mm -hmm. Apple and Google... Have a legal record of that communication. Oh sure. So the push notification infrastructure is the weak part in all of these encrypted apps. Self-destructing messages, Telegram, WhatsApp—it doesn't matter because they all have to go through these services where there's metadata about who tele- who messaged you uh-huh. and uh, possibly even a little few lines of the content. Now I got a question. So that could be something that they're struggling with.
1: So here's one thing that I think is is kind of interesting. Is you know on my phone I've noticed that I. Have the ability to actually shut off uh, my notifications that 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 pop up. So, for example, I can. Oh I can yeah, yeah. And so, if I do that, does that remove it because it's not then accessing that push notification API?
2: I don't know. I don't know where that settings. If that settings on this phone, then no, because it's still coming through the push service. See, what depends is what's going through that push service. And maybe there's a way for people to roll their own. Um, the fact that they're breaking it off into their own services. Interesting. And you could see how that could even be used by other open source
1: projects. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be interesting to follow the the development. And uh, and I, I think we've all been kind of waiting to see who broke it first. I guess the answer to that is wire. James <laughs> from Idaho is calling. Hi, James. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. James from Idaho is calling. Hey,
3: James. just wanted to say, hey, thanks, for the play button on your uh, webpage and and say hi to chris uh, from idaho i'd like to wait for some of his shows i have to get back to him and uh, how is his laptop running
2: well very very nice thank you well thank you. it is you know uh I, I i went through idaho seven days ago now so uh, i was in your neck of wood seven days ago and i've made the trip um here with two laptops. I've got my editing laptop and I've got my review laptop that I'm testing right now. That runs it's currently running uh, Ubuntu 17.10. It was running Gentoo before the road trip and it's on a brand spanking new Librem 15 from Purism. And uh I've been kind of impressed so far. So uh, I'm liking 1710 a lot, and I'm liking the Librem 15 a lot, which uh, is giving me more confidence about the Librem 5 fundraiser they're doing right now. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's interesting because you know it, it started out uh, a little bit different. So I'm 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 glad that things are kind of turning around. I'm glad the Librem folks yeah, are cause starting you, to get the their first
2: out. one. I was not super happy with, and this was their make good, by the way. Right. I didn't buy it.
1: Oh really? Oh, they just sent it to you.
2: Yeah, they wanted they wanted to make good on that original purchase, and so this was their replacement for that.
1: Good for the good on them. Well, who knows? Let's maybe they'll turn it around. Hey guys, big news for us at the Ask Noah show. Some of you have noticed that there is only so much that we can do with Colorado. I mean, at the end of the day, we have these people. that are calling in from all walks of life, and all these various different devices. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, and so in the history of the Ask No show, though, we've only ever not put one call on the air, and that wasn't because his call quality was poor because we literally ran out of time. And, and I was drunk. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no. And, uh, and the guy who was calling in has called the show uh, numerous times before, but uh, everyone else that has ever called the show has gotten through, and that means that the average call quality has been dragged down because we, uh, we're not kicking people off the air. Episode one, I said it. I said, we are here to help people. And if the byproduct of that is a great show, then so be it. Well, turns out one of our listeners uh, and is is owns a telephone service company. Um, and the team at Vox Telsis said we at the Ask Noah show can have our cake and eat it too. And so I just got word today that they are officially donating a brand new top-of-the-line broadcast phone system to us. Now, all-speed technologies, that's... Uh, the company that's my day job. Uh, We've worked with Vox, uh, Vox for for a while now. Um, I've been to their office. I have seen uh, their dedication to Linux and open source. Uh, they are an open source company first and a telecom second. Um, they they have done an excellent job uh, of taking of utilizing open source, leveraging open source, and providing. Uh, solutions to their customers, kind of like AltaSpeed does, uh, no, no cutting quality, um, but all open source. In fact, so much so that they have to. there's one particular thing that they have to use uh, Windows for, and they actually, all of their computers, all the desktops are all running Linux, and so they actually spin up a VM to get into to Windows to do this one little thing. Um, so it's, it's absolutely a great company, and uh, they are our go-to recommendation for SIP service. So when we sign up a customer uh, and, and they're interested in us managing a PBX system for us, uh, for them, a free PBX system, uh, we always recommend VoxTelsys. Uh, so a huge thank you to uh, Mike and Brian from VoxTelsys and we at the Ask Noah Show, we are so grateful for the generosity. You can find more about VoxTelsys at voxtelsys.com. We'll have that link and more information about Voxtelsis. Uh, in the show notes and uh, I actually I just got a message from him. He says that it uh, is shipping tomorrow mm-hmm. So we should have it on on the air by next week for you guys So wow. you have to see if you think there's a yeah, it's super nice of that, that guy. So uh, see if there is a significant uh, quality increase in the phone lines So Chris a lot of people know I think we've you know said it before we are here at in New York City covering the Ubuntu rally mm-hmm. um, And basically for those of you that don't know the Ubuntu rally is essentially it's kind of like a, a hack fest. Yeah, it's a hack fest. It's, it's like a conference for people that work at Canonical to get work done. Yeah, and, and, and
2: communities that are connected or want to get involved, and also companies. Yeah. So uh, um, I, I know some folks from Adobe are here, uh, Microsoft, uh, Slack, a um, bunch, of, bunch of companies, Spotify,
1: and so as you know it's 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 interesting because as we have gone through and kind of talked to some of these people and we've been watching kind of how they're working we've realized how important it is for Microsoft to send somebody out to take a given product that Microsoft makes and work with the snapping team to make a snap of that particular product so that it's available for us the end user. And how else do you do that unless you get those two people in the room? And what better company to do that mm-hmm. than Canonical?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's also it's an opportunity, something you'll hear a lot when you talk to developers. Yeah, I tried to get XYZ from Canonical to build on, say, Fedora, mm-hmm. but uh, it was dependent on this uh, Canonical Ubuntu patch. Mm-hmm. And uh, without these particular Ubuntu-specific patches, it won't run. And uh, those are the kind of problems that get fixed here. So if you are on the other end of that, you can come here and say, okay, guys, well, I need to be able to build this on Fedora. And um, it can't be dependent on these patches. So whatever you're doing, we've got to upstream that. Right. And so that all happens here. It gets upstream, they get it working. Um, but you know something else that's even more exciting than all of that? Because you know, it is really good insight on how, how they actually work yes. with yeah. outside community members and yep. amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's really interesting, just a quick aside, some of them have never met each other like yes. most of them don't know the other 90% of the people like there's there's like small groups that right. know each other yep. but this company's worldwide mm-hmm. and so sometimes the first time they've ever met each other and so they're working together for the first time mm-hmm. so that's got to be huge for them yeah. but even bigger than that what's really happening today Although though I'm sure you can't officially say this but what's genuinely happening today as we sit here is the very first development is beginning on
1: 1804 oh boy especially yeah. after 1710 too mm-hmm. like if you guys mm-hmm. aren't playing with 1710 you have to be playing with 1710 it is I, I speak I think I can speak for both Chris and I when I say this. It is the best release Canonical mm-hmm. has ever done. That's why
2: I put okay. it on the uh, Librem before I came out here.
1: Yeah, it's just I am so excited to, to to play with 1710, and so now they're hopefully. And we you and I were talking about this earlier today. Hopefully, what the goal is is to take all those things that make 1710 great and just really solidify mm-hmm. them, and just tweak, just minor little massaging until mm-hmm. you get it to a perfect product, uh, and then we get that. You know, when it lands in 1804, and people can. Can carry that on.
2: Yeah. It's uh it's a it's a get together. There's a very communi- there's a community aspect, but there's an overriding it's time to get work done feeling. Of course this right. is day one. Yeah. And you know, a couple of days down the road that might begin to, to shift a little bit. But day one felt very much like we gotta capitalize on everybody being in this room. Right. And it was heads down and if they weren't people if people weren't working, they were diagramming. And if they weren't <laughs> diagramming, they were discussing. Sure. And it was Pretty intense work. So you and I were sort of like quiet mice as we went around to try to capture it all.
1: Yeah, we were, and you know, as we kind of went through and it's like Mark is just a very, very, uh, you know, uh, intimidating person to be around. And he's intense. I, I think so, yeah. yeah. I th- in a good way. Yeah. Um I think he I think he's just he really, really extols a virtue of a good leader. Yeah. And you can tell that just by talking to all the people that work for him. Yeah. And you know, that's been really interesting. So Chris and I consider ourselves both very, very fortunate um, you know, to to have the opportunity to come out here and to be a part of this. It's it's been really cool. And thank you for I'm sorry it took so long for us to get you on the Ask Noah show. That no, was good. Yeah, we tried to do it episode three or four or whatever, and yeah. that didn't work out.
2: Well we so, had to go to the airport.
1: Yeah. It turns out we have to fly. Yeah. <laughs> turns out we have to yeah, we have to fly all the way way to new york city and do this inside of our hotel room although i have to say and i will t- I, if i didn't tweet i will tweet a picture out of this i think this is a really cool podcasting setup yeah it's not bad I, you know we're so we're sitting at this bench and yeah. we both are on our laptops yeah. and so like we can turn and talk to each other yeah. and then if we're we can go back and kind of work a little bit and i think so, what
2: really does it though is that app you have
1: yeah the app that's telling me that in the nine countdown. seconds that yeah, uh, yeah. that's a, <laughs> a, you, have you put
2: that in the show notes
1: you no, should no sometime. I will. Sometime. I will. It'll be my hot tip. It is. It's an app pick, if you will. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. A huge thank you to Sarah, our call screener, Ben, our producer, and Rekai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint. Coming up next on KEQQ eighty-eight point three LPFM, Grand Forks.